Take your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be reading verses 1 um, through 12, 1 through 12. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 12. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events, as yet unseen, and reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Well, what is the point of this chapter? I think it's good as we come back to chapter 11 again is just to remind ourselves of the context. Hebrews chapter 11 is often referred to as the hall of faith. It it is a collection of of very brief biographical sketches of well-known figures from the Old Testament. We see Abraham, we see Noah, we see uh, all of these different, Sarah, uh, Moses, all of these great heroes of the faith from the Old Testament. And, And it may be tempting to simply read these and reflect back on the Old Testament stories in a way that's disconnected from the main point of the book and the main point of the chapter. You see, the author of Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith as we call it, has included this chapter not merely because he wants us to brush up on our Old Testament knowledge. He isn't writing this just so he's saying, you know, these people, I don't think they remember all these good stories. Let me just include some of these stories to remind them. Neither was he looking just to fill up space. He's like, well, I've got a little bit of room left on my papyrus here, and I I don't want to waste anything, so let me just tell them a few of the stories from the Old Testament. He wasn't looking to fill space. The writer has instead included these snippets of great men and women of faith because it it serves to advance his argument 
in a fresh and powerful way. Do you remember the point of the book of Hebrews? Because this chapter is related to that. It, the point of this book is to call wavering believers to persevere. He, he's writing to people like you and me who have faith, but who are undergoing trials. And in the midst of those trials, in the midst of those difficult circumstances, their faith has begun to waver. And he's calling them to persevere. He's calling them not to fall back not to fall away, not to draw back from the Lord, but to lean in and to persevere in the midst of those difficult times. I would say I'm glad that God has led us to the book of Hebrews in this time. I think it's no mistake. I didn't know what was going to be happening this year when I decided to go through the book of Hebrews. But can we say that that 2020, the year 2020, has been a difficult year. And for many of us, it's been a time in which our faith may be shaken a bit. It's a good thing that I think God has called us to this and is calling us to persevere in our faith. The writer of Hebrews does this in, in several different ways, calling us to persevere. But one of them is just pointing back to the Old Testament and looking at all the rituals, uh, the sacrificial system, the priests, the temple, all of those things, and showing that all of those things were orchestrated by God in order to point forward to Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of everything that God was teaching in the Old Testament. And so if that is the case, it would be foolish to turn back from Christ. It would, it would be foolish for us to, to turn away from the one who is the fulfillment of all of God's saving purposes and plans for humanity. If, if you turn back from Him, you don't have a sacrifice. If you turn back from Him, you, you do not have access to God. If you turn away from Christ, you have no fellowship with the Lord. It is only through Jesus Christ that we have any of those things. So why would you ever even consider for a moment falling away from Christ. And really, most of the book, as we've gone through, has pointed those things out, the sacrifices, the temple, the priests, and shown how Jesus is the fulfillment of those things and how he actually secures God's blessing for us. But now in Hebrews chapter 11, it's still the same point, still the same purpose, which is calling us to persevere in our, in our faith. But instead of reminding us of the rituals from the Old Testament, the temple and the sacrifice and the priest and so on, instead of doing that, now, now he calls us to reflect on some of the narratives, some of the stories of the great heroes of the faith from the Old Testament. And, and he's doing that, again, not simply to remind you of these stories so you can say, hey, I know a lot about the Old Testament. He's doing that in order that you might look at them, that you might see their example of persevering in the faith, and that you then might be inspired yourself to persevere through difficult circumstances. Stories have that effect on us, don't they? They, they have a powerful effect on us. I just recently watched the, uh, the account of Michael Jordan. I can't even remember what the documentary was called, but all about Michael Jordan and the Bulls. And of course, that was my, I mean, that's when I was growing up, you know? That, that was made such an impression on me, that, that period of time. So watching these, this story, again, going back and reliving the details of, of Michael Jordan and all that he accomplished and how, how tenacious he was and how, how badly he wanted to win. I mean, I'll watch that thing and I'm ready to go outside and start hooping it up right now, right? Because stories inspire us, don't they? 
You watch the story of some great leader uh, who, who stood up for justice, and you're like, I want to do that. I want to be like that. I remember as a child listening, my grandfather was in World War II and, and, and was some, in some pretty serious battles, and I, he didn't actually talk a lot, but through my dad, I heard some of the stories about uh, his encounter in World War II, and I remember hearing that as a child and thinking, I want to be a soldier, right? I want to fight. We'd go out and play army, right? We'd get our guns, and we would imitate that because it inspired us as children. And, and even today, it inspires me. And I think all of us, as we look back on that generation, sometimes called the greatest generation, and we hear those stories, it inspires us to be patriotic. It, it inspires us to stand for what is right, and that's what the writer of Hebrews is doing in chapter 11. He's saying, remember all these people. Remember Abraham. Remember Noah. Remember Moses. Remember what they did because they had faith in the Lord, because they believed in Him, because they trusted in Him. They, they did great things. And, and so he's calling us to consider that and hopefully then to inspire us to be faithful. That's the context. You remember the immediate context back in chapter 10. Look at verse number 22. He's calling them to, to persevere in their faith. He says in verse 22 of chapter 10, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And then in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. He's calling us to do that. And now in chapter 11, he's saying, look at these people. Look at Moses. Look at Abraham. Look at Sarah. That's what they did. And so that's an example for us. And again, in verse number 35, we see the, the same thing. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance. That's what we need. And he's hoping to inspire us to endure in our faith by, by considering Abraham and Moses and so on. I, I said earlier, and I'll reiterate it again, I think we are in a time where we need perseverance. That's what he says in verse 36. You need endurance. Could, could that be said of you this morning? I think it could be said of me. You need endurance. We've been going through a trying year. We've had political unrest. There's been economic uncertainty. There have been riots. There's a health crisis. We've seen churches in certain parts of the country forced to shut down for months, even while casinos and abortion clinics remain open. Churches are seeing record numbers of people fall away from, from them. And, and for a, a, a significant portion of those people, the reality is they're not coming back. Right? That for some people, this may be a, a temporary hiatus for, for health purposes, but for some of these people, this is a final act. They, they have fallen or, or are falling away from the Lord. It's been a difficult time. But listen, I, I would say a couple things. First of all, it's, it's not likely to get any easier. I keep hearing people say things like, I'll be glad when 2020 is over. Well, listen, the reality is it may not get any easier. Our suffering and our difficulty, whether you're talking about any kind of, uh, of religious persecution or just general kind of suffering, listen, our suffering in America in the, in the 21st century has, has been light compared to what past generations have had. So, so listen, don't just expect 2020 is going to get over and everything's going to be back to normal. There'll be no persecution, there'll be no suffering, and everything will be easy. 
right? That's, that's not necessarily the case. It isn't likely to get any easier. Just look around the world at Christians and, and the things that they're going through. Uh, imagine living, living in, in other places in the world like China or certain places in Africa and the difficult things that they face. And it isn't just a year. It, it isn't just six months. This is their life. And what I want you to be aware of is that could be the case for us. Things could get more difficult. I'm not a prophet. I don't know the future. And I pray that all of this craziness just comes to an end and things get back to normal. We would thank the Lord for that. But we dare not be so presumptuous as to assume that it will be the case. Second, I just, as we kind of get into this, I just ask you to consider how you have responded so far. Have you responded with perseverance? Have you responded with an enduring kind of faith? How would you rate your response? How, how is your heart handling the things that you've gone through or that we are going through? Is your faith wavering? You have need of endurance this morning. I, I wonder if you would be able to describe or if the Lord would be able to describe your response in the way that he, he describes the life of Abraham and Sarah and Moses and and, and uh, Enoch and all of these people could could he say by faith this person did this in the midst of this pandemic by faith with all the economic certain uncertainty this person remained generous by faith e even though there were all these things going on this person remained committed to and obeyed the Lord could could God say that about you well let's jump in we're going to focus this morning on um, Abraham and Sarah and, and their life of faith, but I, I want to do that in the context of just reminding us of what I think are the three key points about faith. This chapter is all about faith, and I think there are three key points in, in which we are meant to read all of these stories. If we understand these three key points, each of these uh, accounts will kind of unfold to us, and we'll understand the, the point of the author in this chapter that is meant to inspire persevering faith in us by reminding us of of those heroes of the faith there are three truths about faith that we must understand and then when we understand them we'll be able to interpret this rightly the first is this what is faith what is faith well we saw a few weeks ago that faith is a divinely given inner confidence in god and his promises it's a it's a confidence that we have an inner confidence that god is real and that his promises are true but but it isn't something that's contrived or made up it, it isn't something that we've just kind of worked up in ourselves say I, I really want this to be true and so i'm gonna i'm gonna convince myself that it's true and i'm gonna live this way no no it's a divinely given inner confidence in god and his Promises. We saw that in verse number one. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It is an assurance. It is a conviction. That, that's that inner sense of confidence. God is true. God is real. His promises are, are faithful. And it isn't, it isn't contrived. It isn't man-made. We saw how that word, uh, the first word there that faith is the assurance really could be translated in the King James. It is translated. It is the substance of things hoped for. And, and we mentioned how 
there's sort of an objective reality that I think the author's trying to get a, a, a part, uh, uh, get across to us. That word substance is a word that is translated other places as title deed, which is to say, in other words, that we have some foundation for the confidence we have. Uh, again, it isn't, let me just make up this fairy tale and I'm going to convince myself that I believe it and I'm going to live by, like that. That's the way that cults work, uh, that, you know, they just, there's some narrative and they all kind of convince themselves that this is true. But Christian faith is not that way, although the skeptic would look at it that way. Uh, it is not that way. Christian faith is an inner confidence that has a foundation. It, it has a reason for being so confident. It's like I used in the illustration a couple weeks ago. If I were to tell you that I was giving you some land uh, of great value and giving you a lot of money, you would have very little confidence that what I'm saying is true to you, right? Uh, you, you would say, this sounds like a scam and I don't believe you. But if I walk up and I, and I give you the account and I give you the title deed and there's a lawyer there and saying, yes, this is all true, here it is, then you would have a lot of confidence in what I'm saying. That's the way it is when it comes to faith. God has given us this inner confidence. He's given us reason to be assured that what he has said is true. Put another way, we said that, that faith is a God-given sense. It's like the eyesight of the soul. We experience things through our senses, and faith is the sense that allows us to experience God and his promises. And we saw how that way of thinking is even used in this very book when the writer in chapter 10, verse 32, speaks of Christians and the conversion experience as those who have been enlightened. We've been enlightened. And that we've received, in verse 26, we've received the knowledge of the truth. Or in chapter 6, where he says that we have tasted the heavenly gift and we have tasted the goodness of the word of God. We have a reason this morning to be assured. We haven't made all this up. Well, when we come to Abraham and Sarah and their example here this morning in verses 8 through 12, we see a person who had confidence, Abraham and Sarah, who had confidence in the promises of God. He trusted God and his promises. And I hope you know the, the story of Abraham. Uh, God made a covenant with Abraham to, to, to bless him. Of course, salvation was promised in, in Genesis chapter 3.16. And Abraham is where God begins enacting his work of redemption. Abraham is too old to have children. His wife is too old to have children. But God promises them that not only are they going to have a child, but that from this child a great nation is going to be born and God is going to give them a land to live in. And when Abraham heard that, he believed God. In fact, that's what the Bible says. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham responded with an inner confidence and assurance that what God had said to him, this promise is true. These people, of the people of God, are fundamentally those who believe God and trust his promises. Is that you this morning? Do you believe and trust in the promises of God? Is your heart a heart that has great confidence in God? You're the only person who knows the condition of your heart. Are you assured that God is real? Are you confident 
that his promises are true? Do you believe the promises of God? How, how does your heart respond when you hear promises of heaven, promises of salvation, promises of eternal life, promises of God's blessing? How does your heart respond? You're the only person who knows your heart outside of the Lord himself. I hope this morning that you are a person of faith, and I don't just mean, we talked about that, right? And when I say a person of faith, I don't just mean a person who is religious, because actually studies are showing that there's a lot of religious people who don't really believe, and that's an oxymoron, right? That, that's a contradiction, but there are studies all the time that are showing that even pastors, there, there are men who stand in pulpits who, who are, whose job it is to proclaim the word of God. And, and when they're surveyed in, in kind of private ways, uh, to, just to get a, an honest response, there are many pastors who are saying, I'm not very confident that any of this is true. So how about your heart? Do you have confidence that God is real and that his promises are true? Are true? That's what faith is. But secondly, this morning, let's see what faith does. What does faith do? Well, faith acts. Faith acts. It, it knows God to be real, and it trusts His promises to be absolutely true and certain. And so based upon that confidence, faith begins to act. It begins to do things for the Lord in faithfulness, in, in obedience. That's, that's a summary, really, uh, of what we see in each example given. And I said again, these are the three foundational truths through which we're supposed to read chapter 11 and understand what did all of these people have in common who are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. All of them had a great confidence in God, and then as a result of that great confidence, all of them began to do things in obedience to God because they believed His promises to be true. That, that's the point. In, in each one of these, it begins with, by faith. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Sarah did this. By faith, Noah did this. You see, faith always leads to action. And that's the point of it. It's, it's an inner confidence that God gives us that He is real, that His promises are true, that then launches us, propels us into a life of obedience. And that's the point with with Abraham and Sarah as well. Look at, look at verse number 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Do you see, do you see the verbs there? Abraham obeyed, and he went. He left his home. Abraham had a comfortable place to live. Abraham was a rather wealthy man, but when God called him, and God said, I'm going to go take you to a new land, and I'll show you when you get there, Abraham obeyed God. Why would Abraham do that? It didn't make sense other than that he had an inner confidence that God is real and that His promises are true. They went and lived Look at the circumstances. Verse number eight says, not knowing where they were going. God said, I'll show you when you get there. How many of us would follow the Lord in those circumstances? In verse number nine, he lived in a foreign land and he lived like a nomad in tents. He was moving around and he did it all because he believed God's promises to be true. 
Sarah as well is given as an example of someone who responded in faith. It says of Sarah that she considered him faithful. God promised that Sarah would have a child. Sarah was already too old. She, she couldn't have children to begin with. She was barren. And on top of that, she was 100 years old. So, so like biologically, she was not able to have children. And even if that had been a possibility now, it's, it's well past that. And yet God said you're going to have a child. And, Abra and Sarah, it says of her, that she considered him faithful who had made this promise. Now, isn't it interesting, if you know that story, you remember what Sarah's first response was, don't you? When the angel of the Lord tells Sarah, or really the angel of the Lord's talking to Abraham, and, and Sarah is listening uh, in the next room, you know, and, and so she's listening in, and she hears this, and she begins to laugh, like, oh, am I, I'm going to have a child. I'm 100 years old, never could have children, and I'm going to have a child? She begins to laugh. So it's interesting here in these verses that, that it says of her that, that she considered God faithful. But you remember the rest of the story. The, the angel confronts her about that and says, you, you laughed. She said, I didn't laugh. She's embarrassed, right? Uh, but but she, the, the angel then reiterates the promise. And it's clear that God, through this rebuke given by this angel, the angel of the Lord, created faith in the heart of Sarah. When, when she was rebuked, faith was born in her heart. Calvin says this about this instance. He says, but it may seem strange that her faith is commended, who was openly charged with unbelief. For she laughed at the word of the angel as though it were a fable. And it was not the laugh of wonder and admiration, for otherwise she would not have seen, been so severely reproved by the angel. It must indeed be confessed that her faith was blended with unbelief. But as she cast aside her unbelief when repro reproved, her faith is acknowledged by God and commended. What, the, what then she rejected at first as being incredible, she afterwards, as soon as she heard that it came from God, obediently received. And hence we deduce a useful doctrine that when our faith is in some things, wavers or halts, it ceases not to be approved of God, provided we indulge not the spirit of unbelief. So this is what we're called to. Sometimes God calls us to things that seem unbelievable. Sometimes God commands us to do things that seem impossible. And, and it may be that we initially laugh at the possibility. It may be initially that, that our belief is mixed with unbelief, but we need to be like Sarah. And when reproved by the Word of God, we need to respond with faith. And that's what Sarah did. People of faith act based upon their faith. And Sarah, even with her doubt at first, responded in faith. She considered Him faithful and she acted based upon that. These individuals did these individuals did this, and this is what we're called to do. You and I are called to act in faith. We're called to obey. Again, in, in verse 10, or chapter 10, verse 35, notice again that passage. Do not throw away your confidence. Well, we've just seen 
that faith has been called an assurance and a conviction. Faith is confidence. So it's just a way of saying don't throw away your faith. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance. How do you endure? Well, you endure if you have faith, if you believe God. We're called to, to act out and to live out our faith. In verse 38, it says that we are to be those who live by faith. Chapter 11, verse number 6, when talking about Enoch, it, it says that the person who would please God, would draw near to God, must believe that, that God exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. And it says that it's impossible to please God without faith. Why is it impossible to please God without faith? Well, for one, God commands us to have faith, and so that's sort of the, the starting point. That's the, the prerequisite for pleasing God, is that we must have faith. But the reality is it's something bigger than that. And, and the answer is that only those people who have faith, only those people who believe in God, who believe He's real, and believe that He rewards those who seek Him, as it says, are those who are going to want to obey God. Right? Where does our obedience come from? Where does our action come from that seeks to please God? It only comes from a heart of faith. People who don't have faith in God, who don't believe His promises to be true, don't care to please God. They don't care to obey God. Faith produces this kind of God-pleasing action. So does this describe your life? Is your life a life of obedient action that's rooted in your trust and confidence in God? Ligon Duncan says this, believers act on God's Word and their great life decisions are based upon His call. The life of faith, the life of trusting God is a life of acting on God's Word and on His call. Does that describe your life this morning? What are you acting on? What's, what's driving you? What's, what's motivating you? Why do you do the things that you do? Uh, we've been teaching on Wednesday night and we, we've seen that our thinking, what we believe, influences what we do. We do what we do because we believe what we believe. But listen, does your faith in God, your belief in God, and, and your belief and trust in the, the fact that His promises are true, is that what propels and governs your action in life? It ought to be. For people of faith, the, the, the thing that anchors our behavior, the, the thing that drives us, that propels us forward, ought to be our faith in God. Could that be said of you this morning? What does faith do? Faith acts in obedience to God. Thirdly, this morning, we see what faith receives. What faith receives. This is the third crucial point regarding faith and helps us understand chapter 11. Faith pleases God. What does faith receive? Well, it pleases God and therefore it receives His favor, His blessing, and His con commendation. I almost said condemnation. That, that would be the wrong thing. Uh, but His commendation. His commendation. Now, we got to be careful when, when we start talking about pleasing God and being commended by God, we, we got to understand that even our good works are accepted by the grace of God, right? When we talk about pleasing God, we must understand that the only way that it's possible for sinners like you and me to do anything that pleases God is that we have been graciously brought into the realm or the sphere of grace. We're walking in the realm of grace, and it's only in the realm of grace that, that people who are sinners like you and me could ever please God. 
Everything's by grace, even our pleasing God. We've got to understand that. A couple of reasons. The first is this. You and I were enemies of, of God. And, and listen, I don't care uh, wh- what. I mean, if you've got somebody who hates you, who is seeking to destroy you, who is against you, you, you don't care if they do one thing that somebody else might consider good. They're your enemies, right? And so you're not going to see what they're doing as, as good. The, the second is this, even as believers, even as believers, you and I are still sinners so that the best of our actions are still mixed with sin. I'm here preaching this morning in, in obedience to God, and I've got to tell you, there, there are often times when I'm preaching that the motivations of my heart are not entirely pure, right? I'm thinking about what will people think about me? Will, will I receive glory? Will they think I'm a great preacher? Right? So even sometimes our best works of, of, of obedience to God are mixed with sin because we're sinners. So it's only by the grace of God forgiving our sin and then adopting us into his family and giving us the favor of a divine father that we could be said to please God. When we're not in the realm of grace, it, it would be like someone who has who has harmed your family and burned your house down and then they show up to mow your grass. That's not pleasing to you. They're your enemies, right? That, that wouldn't be pleasing to you. But once we've been adopted into the family of God, we're, we're like children. My children have been helping to cut the grass and, and it doesn't always go so well. Every time I come out, right, they're... They, they, I don't know why, but they keep lowering the blades down. Uh, I came out and Evan earlier this week was, was cutting the grass and, and the front wheels were on the lowest setting. The back wheels were on the highest. I mean, he's just scalping the yard, right? I drove out this morning and I could notice just with the light that some of the grass was much lower, some of it was higher, some of it looked like it was about ready to die, which at this point might be a good thing. Uh, I'm, I'm ready to not be cutting grass anymore, but but you know what? It's pleasing to me because they're my children. Someone who was my enemy who had done horrible things to me and my family, they could do an immaculate job. It wouldn't be pleasing to me. But, but my children can do a subpar job. But because I love them, because I'm their father and I delight in them, then it's pleasing to me. So when we talk about pleasing God, the only way that we please God is because we've been adopted into his family. We're operating in this realm of grace And God is pleased with our action. Now, let's see where we get this idea that our faith, our actions of faith, please God. Well, look at verse number 2 in chapter 11. For by it, that is by faith, the people of old received their commendation. There's that word again, commendation. And and that word commendation really is the word for witness. It's the word for a martyr. It's someone who testifies. And and in that passage, what it means is that God has offered a testimony to us. He's testified for us on our our behalf, uh, on the basis of our our works of faith. Again, look at verse number four, because that same word comes up again, and it becomes clear. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him, by accepting his gifts. Do you see what's going on there? Abel had faith 
And so God accepted his gift, and by accepting his gift, he's commending him. He's saying, yes, this is good. Yes, this is pleasing to me, and I'm going to demonstrate that I'm pleased with your action by accepting your sacrifice. God commended him by accepting his gift. So the idea is that God in various ways bears witness or testifies to the goodness and the righteousness of our actions of faith. We see it again in in verse number five where it says of Enoch. In verse number five, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him up. Now before he was taken, He was commended as having pleased God. Enoch pleased God, and God commended him. God testified to Enoch's faithfulness. How did God testify to Enoch's faithfulness? He took him up. He didn't allow him to experience death. That was God's witness saying, I'm pleased with Enoch and his acts of faith. The same thing is true of Abraham and Sarah. We notice here in verses 8 through 10, we we see that God, through the faithful acts of of Abraham, allowed him to receive this inheritance in verses 8 through 10. Remember I said there there were two aspects of this covenant promise to Abraham. The one was land that God would give them. And and the other was a posterity, a nation that would come from them. And so in verses 8 through 10, we see that God commended Abraham by allowing him to receive this inheritance, at least an initial installment of it. We're going to see next week that Abraham was looking forward to something in the future that was a greater fulfillment than what he was receiving now. But but he at least received an initial installment of this. And that was God commending Abraham. God responding to and approving the faith of Abraham by giving him what he promised. And the same thing is true. And I think what stands out to me really is, is what it says about Sarah. How God supernaturally empowered Sarah to conceive a child through whom this great nation w- would come. God displayed their, His favor on their obedience. God granted miraculous power to Sarah. That was God saying, Sarah, I know you didn't believe me at first, or at least you had some doubts, but you trusted me. And now look, you're going to have a child. You're a hundred years old. You've been barren your entire life. And you are going to finally have a child. Verse number 11, do you see this? By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. That was God's commendation. That was God's witness to Sarah. Sarah, you have believed me. You have trusted me. And I'm going to respond in this way. I'm going to meet you in that obedience with a disbursement of my divine power. Again, Calvin says this about Sarah. He says, the meaning then is that the miracle which God performed when Isaac was born was the fruit of the faith of Abraham and of his wife by which they laid hold on the power of God. It was their faith laying hold on on the power of God. Sarah didn't have power to have children, but she believed. And when she believed, it led to action. And when she acted, God met her there and put his commendation, his seal of approval on that by giving her something that was miraculous. 
So this morning, you, you might be asking yourself, you know, I, I don't see God fulfilling his promises in this way. Perhaps the problem, if you're not seeing God act in this way and, and respond with this kind of commendation, it, it may be that we're simply not acting in faith. Sometimes we talk about stepping out in faith, and that isn't a particularly biblical phrase, but, but I think we know what it means. The, the idea is that, that we don't see how something's going to happen, but we begin to act in obedience. We begin to act and step out, and when we do, God meets us there. That's what happened with Abraham and Sarah. God called them out. They obeyed to God's promise. They began to do what God called them to do, and then God met them there in that act of obedience, and he fulfilled his promises to them. That's what we're talking about when we talk about stepping out in faith. Now, that idea can be misguided for sure if we believe somehow that we can twist God's arm. I'm going to go do this, and I'm just going to go for it, and I know God's going to have to act. Well, we, we, if we're thinking we can twist God's arm, that's not what we're talking about here. Or if we have just some whim, you know, like I should go do this, and I'm going to go do it right now, and um, that, that's not what we're talking about. But the truth is, if we act upon God's promises in faith, we can expect those actions to be met with God's power. This is different than maybe some of you have heard some of the prosperity gospel before, sort of the name it, claim it. You know, you just go do it and God will give you what, what you want, that kind of idea. But, but notice that Sarah's faith was, was a response to a direct uh, promise of God. The problem with the name it, claim it, the, the prosperity gospel is, is that it distorts the promises of God. It misreads the promises of God. It misapplies and, and sometimes even makes up promises that God has not made. And, and then says, well, I'm going to do this and God will miraculously bless me and, and all kinds of things. Uh, that's all misguided. But the reality is that when we begin to act on God's promises, rightly understood and rightly applied, we can expect to see God act, to see God pleased and then commending our acts of faithfulness. When we act upon the promises of God rightly understood and rightly applied, we should expect that God will meet us there with divine power. The question is, are we acting? Do you have confidence this morning that in the promises of God in such a way that it lead you to attempt radical things for the Lord? Things that are unlikely apart from the grace of God? May God grant us that kind of faith this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you are so kind to us that you have made it possible for us to be accepted and loved by you and, and even, in a sense, to be able to please you through our acts of faith. God, we, we would pray that you would strengthen our faith. We, we've got to admit that many of us here probably are struggling a bit. Uh, we're, we're wrestling with things right now, and we need your help. We need you to strengthen our faith. We pray that you would do it. God, we, we want to be like the blind man on the side of the road who cried out to you, uh, who cried out to Christ as he was passing by. Son of David, have mercy on us. We, we don't have the vision that we need. We don't have the faith that we need to have. And so we would cry out to you this morning and say, heal us. Give us sight, we pray. Give us faith that we might 
We might know with a greater level of certainty You to be real and Your promises to be true so that we might act in faith. Lord, we pray for this body of believers uh, that You would would cause us to be those who attempt to do great things for You because we are just so certain that Your promises are true. And we pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen.